Well, today we're going to continue our series um, into Jesus. And today we're going to talk about Jesus the Revolutionary. And, And so we'll just start with this. We all love a good revolution, don't we? Let's be honest with ourselves. We love a good revolution, we love seeing, seeing an uprising or seeing people gather together and, and, and go against something or fight against something to try to take power or to set something right. We all love the fight the man, fight the power. We all love fighting for justice, rallying together or taking the throne. We have movies, we have music, we have books and stories that are all about revolutions. In our house these days, that's Star Wars. That's, that's the force and the dark side. And every day, at least once, if not two or three times, we get to watch the, the force and the good guys take on the dark side and the revolution to save the planet, or well, not the planet, the universe. And so Star Wars is it. My favorite movie, hopefully some of you will agree with this, is the movie Braveheart. How many of you love Braveheart? Okay, so we know how many people. All right, now put, we know how many people we need to get saved today. Those of you that don't love Braveheart, um, Braveheart is the best movie ever made. It's all about this revolution. It's it's William Wallace, the I mean, the long flowing hair, and he's the manly man, and he rallies his Scottish people to fight against the kings that are oppressing them. And it's this awesome movie about a revolution. And and you probably if you if you've seen it or if you've if you've seen even clips of it, then you've probably seen the clip where he's on his horse and they're standing there across from this huge army and it looks bad and it looks scary and he's riding back and forth and he's saying, they can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. And it's this awesome revolution. It's my favorite movie. We watched it when uh, when I was a kid. Bethany was probably in like, maybe fifth or sixth grade, we watched it on Christmas Day in my family. None of us had seen it, but we all wanted to watch Braveheart, and Bethany said that we weren't Christians because we wanted to watch Braveheart on Christmas. I thought that was pretty funny. But that is my favorite movie. It's the best. When something's wrong, we want to change it. We want to be a part of change. We want to be a part of a revolution. Revolutions are just a natural part of our life. There are revolutions happening right now in this country. Maybe not with with knives and swords and guns, but but I would say that we have two revolutions going on right now in our country. There's kind of a revolution of of people that wanted to change the status quo and, and thought that their political candidate would do that. And then there's this opposite side, a revolution that's against that person that wants to wants to get rid of that person. And we see these conflicting revolutions. All around the world, there's revolution happening. This is a normal part of our lives, not just in movies, not just in songs, not just in stories, but every day. It's reality. Well, this morning, you may not know it, but by being here today, you are a part of a revolution. Just by being here this morning, you are a part of a revolution, but not just any revolution. You are a part of the greatest revolution ever. You are a part of the greatest revolution ever. And some of you are sitting there thinking, I just thought I was coming to church today to sleep through a sermon. Or I I just thought I was going to come, and you're telling me I'm a part of the greatest revolution ever? 
And, and today, you are a part of the greatest revolution ever. Congratulations. And this is important. What we're talking about today is important. This is huge because you are a part of something so much bigger than a Sunday morning service. You are a part of something so much bigger than a Westchester Nazarene church. You are a part of the greatest revolution ever. Jesus, God's revolution to change this world. And today, you're a part of it. This is huge. So what is that revolution? I'm going to get really simple here. I, it, I mean, we'll just go really simply into this. We were created. The world was created. Human beings were created. And then we messed up. And all of a sudden, creation and the world got messed up and humans got messed up. And the world became broken and evil came into the world. And then this revolution began. It began with the miraculous birth that we celebrated at Christmas time. It continued through Jesus' life and ministry on earth. It, it continued when Jesus sent the disciples out and said, go and make disciples. And it's been going on ever since. This isn't a five-year revolution. This isn't just a small uprising. This is the last 2,000 years this revolution has been going on to change this world. But this isn't your normal revolution this isn't William Wallace on the horse riding back and forth, pumping up his, his warriors to go into battle. This isn't the political revolutions that we have today that are all about taking over power and getting our way. It's different. So why is it different? Let's look at Mark chapter 14, verses 43 to 50. And, and let's just set this up by saying Jesus has been moving along now for years, has been working in ministry, he's been healing people, he's been doing awesome things, he has disciples that are following, he has crowds that are getting bigger and bigger and following him, and this revolution is continuing to grow, and Jesus, is, it's continuing to grow, and Jesus has come into Jerusalem, and, and, in, and we'll pick it up in chapter 14, verses 43 to 50, it says this, just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teacher of the law, teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled." So we see this scene in the garden where, where the, the soldiers and Judas and the people that are against Jesus are coming to arrest him. We've seen this revolution building through Jesus' life and ministry. And just a few days before this, we see Jesus enter the city of Jerusalem to a parade to a bunch of people that have gathered, that are waving palm branches, that are excited. And what are those people thinking? They're thinking, the revolution's here. Jesus is finally here. He's coming. He's coming into a city, and this is happening. The revolution is about to take 
take off. Here it is. Jesus is here. And we come to this moment, and we see that things didn't quite play out the way that people thought, thought it would, did they? Did it? It didn't quite play out the way that the crowds thought it would when they were waving those palm branches. We see in this scene that our great king, our great revolutionary, is captured. Let's look at what Jesus says again in verse 48. He says this, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs against me? The truth is that Judas and the soldiers and the chief priests and all the people that were against Jesus that were coming to arrest him, they were ready for a fight. Because revolutions are about fights, right? They were ready to fight. They had swords. They had clubs. They were prepared for battle. In fact, um, Peter was prepared for battle. And in, the, in verse 47, we see that a disciple, one of Jesus' disciples, in John's gospel, it tells us it's Peter, takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Peter was ready for a battle. The people that crowded on, on, on Palm Sunday were ready for a battle. The, the, the people that were coming to arrest Jesus were ready for this battle. And we see this scene just like the scene in Braveheart where William Wallace is looking at the enemy. We see this scene where it's all set up for battle. But Jesus, Jesus is about something different. Jesus makes it clear that there will be no battle. He makes it clear that there's no need for the swords and clubs. He says, why'd you bring those things? Why would you think that you're going to need swords and clubs to capture me? Why would you need that? Don't you know me? Haven't you seen me every day in the temple teaching? Haven't you seen me in my ministry? Why would you need those swords and clubs? There's not going to be a fight. And with that, we see why this revolution is different. Because this revolution is not about the sword. This is huge for us today. Please hear me right now. The revolution of Christ is not about the sword. It is not about power. It is not about might. The revolution of Jesus Christ is about love and it's about sacrifice. The revolution of Jesus is not about the sword. And so Jesus says, why do you have those things? Everyone's ready for this epic moment. And Jesus says, there's going to be no fight. Put that sword down. We don't need that. Here's the truth. Jesus did not come to conquer his enemies. Jesus came to die for them. Jesus did not come to conquer them. He came to die for them. And so we see this moment, literally, that these people have come to arrest and kill Jesus and I can just imagine Jesus looking at him. And Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus, one of the servants to the high priest. And I can see Jesus standing there saying, Don't you understand that I came to die for him? Don't you understand that my revolution is about him? It's about these enemies. Jesus didn't come to fight. Jesus came to save See, the problem is normal revolutions are about destroying or taking over the enemies. Jesus' revolution is different. Jesus' revolution says that while when most revolutions see the others as enemies, we see others as the mission. We see others as people that we love and want to save. 
And so Jesus' revolution is different. All other revolutions we've ever seen have been about the sword. They've been about power. They've been about conquering. They've been about influence, taking over and accomplishing our agenda. They're about power, returning the power to who should have the power. They're about security, about protecting ourselves and making sure that we're okay. They're about money, who controls it, who owns it. That's what revolutions are usually about. But Jesus, Jesus' revolution is different. He is willingly captured because his revolution demanded it. Jesus' revolution was not about the sword. In Matthew's gospel, we see the same story in a, in a different, put in a different way. And in verse 52, it says this. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and we, he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Did you catch what Jesus said right there? Did you catch it? Jesus said, if I wanted the throne, if I wanted the power, I could have it. I'm the most powerful thing in the world. If I wanted it, I would have it. If I wanted the throne, I'd have it. But this isn't about the throne. This is about the cross. Jesus didn't come for the throne. Jesus came for the cross. In fact, when Jesus was entering Jerusalem to that parade, Jesus wasn't entering Jerusalem to ascend to the throne. Jesus was entering Jerusalem to ascend to a cross, to die, to give up everything. And so Jesus is telling the mob that's come for him, and Jesus is telling his disciples and his followers this, I'm not about power, I'm about restoration. I'm not about royalty. I don't surround myself with royalty. I surround myself with the broken and the poor and the needy. I don't work in a palace. I work in brokenness. I work in pain. I work in hopelessness. I work in hospital rooms where people are hurting. I work in, at kitchen tables where families are broken and in pain. I work in marriages and relationships that are torn apart. That's where Jesus works. Jesus doesn't sit in a palace. Jesus doesn't sit behind armed guards. Jesus wants to save. Jesus' revolution is totally different because it's not about the sword, it's about the cross. And today, you are a part of this revolution. Which brings me back to, to Peter and his part in this. Can I just be real with you guys today? More often than not, I'm just like Peter. I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, I'm, I'm in on the revolution, I want to be a part of it, I want to change the world, but the truth of the matter is when the mob comes to come against us, more often than not, I'm grabbing the sword, and I'm wanting to fight back, and I'm wanting to fight for the revolution. More often than not, I'm just like Peter. Last year we had a situation um, where we, we play softball at Mason, and we had a situation where we had a couple different teams. And, and before the season, I said, we're going to have a couple teams, but we don't really have enough players for a couple teams. So we're going to have to share. And I said, is that all right? Because I want to make sure that it's okay before we start the season and pay our money that it's going to be okay. And so they said, yeah, that's cool. And, and one of the first weeks of the season, 
Our first game was, the, the times were right off of each other. And our first game, of the, or one of the first games of the season, we went into extra innings in our first game. And so our second game was short of players. And we had guys at the field that were playing in the first game just 100 yards away from this other diamond. But the game went into extra innings. And, and the person that told me it would be okay for us to have two teams and share, within five minutes said, you guys forfeit. You're done. In the second game, we didn't even get a chance to play. Even though we were 100 yards away, and he could see that the game was over, and he could see that we were on our way to the field, they forfeited our game. Can I be honest with you and tell you that my mentality was much more like Peter's than Jesus's that night? Can I be honest with you and tell you that I stood in that parking lot and argued with that guy and I didn't hurt him, I didn't push him, I didn't hit him, I didn't curse at him, but I stood there and I argued with him and my first reaction in that circumstance was not to say, oh, cool, I love you. My first, my first reaction was, you're crazy, what's wrong with you? And, and honestly, what I wanted to do was to go talk about how, how much of an idiot that guy was. I wanted to go talk about, I'm sorry about that, I wanted to go talk about my problem with that guy. I wanted to, ma I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that it was his fault, it wasn't my fault. My first reaction is sometimes the sword, like Peter. We had this, we had this sweet lady in our church in South Carolina I mean, just the sweetest lady. She had this high-pitched voice, and she, I mean, she was like you would never expect her to say anything bad about anyone. And one day, we're sitting at Starbucks with her, and we're talking, and she was talking about how she was in a, in a department store the day before, and there was this, this guy that was kind of oddly lurking around the women's section, and she said, it was just weird. And she said, there was something wrong with that guy, that pervert. And she said, you know, there was something wrong with him. And then all of a sudden, this, this sweet, innocent lady started saying things that were hideous. Like, you know what we need to do to people like that? We need to, we need to tie something to their legs and throw them in the ocean. We need to do, and this sweet, innocent lady, and she's a great lady. I, I love her. I don't think there's anything wrong with her. But her first reaction to that sort of circumstance, her first reaction to people that hurt other people or take advantage of other people is, we got to get them. We got to take them out. We got to put a hurting on them. And I think if we're all honest, if we're all honest, we're more like Peter then we are like Jesus too often, right? Our first reaction is usually the sword, not the cross. Am I right about that? Am I the only one? Come on, make me feel better about myself. <laughs> I think if we're honest, we can all relate to Peter. Our first reaction is to strike back at others. Maybe not with physical swords or knives, but with our words. They said, what about me? Oh, well, did you know this about them? Have you heard this story? Did you know this about them? Oh, well, did you know uh, what, uh, people that disagree with us? You know what we usually do with people that disagree with us? We start to label them. We start to name call. We start to discredit them. We try to hurt them. Some of us sometimes feel like Peter that we have, to, we have to protect the kingdom. We have to give power to the revolution, and so we draw our swords. Maybe we think that politically we have to win power for the revolution. And listen, it is certainly important for us to speak truth 
and seek justice. But there is a difference between speaking truth and cutting off ears. That sounds silly, but it's true. There's a difference between speaking truth and cutting off ears. And it's important that as we seek to build the revolution, as we speak, as we seek to influence others and change lives, that we don't step on people and hurt people and lose our identity. The sword is not the way. As we look at Jesus the revolutionary, we see Jesus setting the example of how this revolution is going to work. And it's going to work like this. We don't need to pick up our swords. We need to lay down our lives. When the enemy comes against us, we don't need to draw our sword and cut off ears. We need to lay down our lives. Because here's the thing, while we're trying to protect the revolution and we're try- while we're trying to give power to the revolution, Jesus, our revolutionary leader, is giving it away. He's saying, take my life. Because my revolution's not about the sword. It's about the cross. In fact, Jesus takes it a step further. It's not just about whether we need the sword or not. Jesus says this, all who draw the sword will die by the sword. In other words, Jesus is saying this, that the second we pick up our swords as followers of Christ, we have lost the revolution. The second that it becomes about the sword or power, we've lost it. We've missed it. It's not going to happen. This is an important thing for us to understand today. Not only do we not need the sword, church, we cannot be a people of the sword. We don't need it, and we can't be a people of the sword. If we resort to fighting, if we resort to swords, if we we resort to hurting each other, if we resort to name-calling, to desiring power, then we've lost our way, and we've lost our identity. If we show the world the sword, we are not showing the world Jesus. Do you understand that this morning? When you're standing in a parking lot and you're upset with the guy because he forfeited your team, or when you're thinking about somebody that's, that's tried to hurt you and said something about you, if we show them the sword, we are not showing them Jesus, the revolutionary, because it's not about the sword, it's about the cross. And so this morning, what that means is this, the only way that we are going to effectively impact our culture for Christ is through sacrificial love. If you want your children to see Jesus, then you have to lay down your sword and you have to practice sacrificial love. You have to be an example. If you're in a broken relationship or a hurting marriage, the sword isn't going to fix it. Nothing will fix it. You will not have Christ's best until you love sacrificially. If we want to reach the next generation, then we, ha- we cannot show them the sword. We have to show them a church that looks like Jesus. If we want the revolution to continue, then we have to be like Jesus, the revolutionary. And it's not about the sword. It's about love. And so today, you're a part of this revolution. But that means putting down your sword and laying down your life. Well, as we get back to the story, we see that they arrest Jesus. And the last line is really interesting, verse 50 that I read. It says this, Then everyone deserted him 
and fled. So these guys have been following Jesus for years. They've seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen Jesus do awesome things. They know the plan. They come to this epic moment and Jesus says, put down the swords. It's not about that. And then they capture Jesus and what happens to his closest followers? They desert him and they run away. The truth is, everybody that was in on the revolution thought that when Jesus was arrested, it was over. The disciples were terrified. They had journeyed with him. They knew him. They had it in their mind. But when they saw this moment, when they saw Jesus arrested, they fled because they thought it was over. And, and let's just be honest that in our human minds, what we see in the garden when Jesus lays down his life and is arrested, what we see in our human minds looks like failure. It looks like defeat. It looks like it's all over. But here's the great news today. What we see as defeat, what we see as failure, when the leader is captured and killed, when we see the ultimate defeat, that's actually the greatest victory of the revolution. Jesus' death and capture and resurrection is the greatest victory of this revolution. And so when everyone else fled and thought it was over, Jesus knew that everything was going according to plan. And Jesus' revolution was continuing on. Our revolution's greatest victory came through the arrest and death of Jesus that led to resurrection. One of my favorite quotes um, from Tim Keller's book, the, the King's Cross, is this. He says this, You can't stop this revolution with the sword because Jesus isn't concerned with the sword at all. You cannot stop this revolution with the sword because Jesus isn't about the sword. This revolution isn't about the sword. And it's true. Look at it. 2,000 years later, we're talking about Jesus. 2,000 years later, the revolution is still going. They arrested him. They killed him over and over again throughout history. People have tried to end this revolution. They've tried to end it through violence. They've tried to end it through political power. They've tried to end it through evil acts. But guess what? The, the revolution cannot be stopped by earthly powers because it's not about the sword. It's about the cross. So the good news today is this. It means that even when it looks like we're losing, even when it looks like the world is winning and that we're done for, if we're following the example of Jesus the revolutionary, we have victory. We have victory. And so this revolution cannot be defeated. And you are a part of this revolution today, but the calling with that is to drop your swords, and lay down your lives. Today I want to invite you to join in on the greatest revolution that's ever existed. I want to invite you to join that revolution by laying down your swords and giving up your lives. Give away the power and love each other because that's what this revolution is all about. So today we're going to close the service in what I think is a perfect way. We're going to close the service with communion. We're going to join together with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. We're going to join together with the early church. We're going to join together with martyrs from thousands of years ago. We're going to join together with missionaries across the world. We're going to join together with churches across the world and across the last few generations. And we're going to take communion together. And here's the awesome part of communion this morning.
That as we take communion, what we do is we live out this story that we've seen in the garden. Communion is all about the fact that Jesus, the revolutionary, laid down his life for us. Laid down his life for the revolution. And so today, as we take communion, it's more than just something we do. It's more than just a cup of juice and bread. It's more than just a moment of remembering. Communion this morning is the definition of our revolution. It's our Savior laying down his life. And it's a calling to us to lay down our lives. And so if you're going to be a part of this great revolution, if you're going to join in and be a part of the revolution that Jesus started thousands of years ago, today as we take communion, the calling is simple. Lay down your life, lay down your swords, and lay down your life. And so the band's going to come up, and as we sing, and, and the ushers are going to come, and as we sing and as we distribute the elements, I want you to be praying about the things in your life that tempt you to draw the sword. I want you to be thinking about the times in your life that you're tempted to try to fight, that you're tempted to pull that sword out and cut someone's ear off. I want you to think about the relationships in your life, your friendships, your children, your marriage, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your, your coworkers. I want you to think about the times that sometimes you're tempted to draw the sword. And I want you to ask Jesus to give you a heart to give you the strength to lay everything down and to be a part of this revolution, to follow the example of Jesus, the revolutionary. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. And, and we meet every Sunday, Lord. But man, today we're celebrating a revolution that's so much bigger than one day or one service. Today, we, we want to join in on the revolution, Lord. But forgive me, Lord, for, for the times that sometimes I think that's about me fighting. Forgive me for the times that I think it, that, that I have to pull out my sword and hurt others. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us this morning would join in on this revolution. But that we would follow your example by giving everything we have away to you. Lord, prepare our hearts for this moment as we take communion together. Give us hearts like yours. We love you, Lord. Amen.